Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I am your host, Matthew Keevil. And happy PDAC week. Hope everyone's having uh, a good time out there in balmy Toronto. Here, it's been breaking 10 degrees. Rain instead of snow. Cannot complain about that. Uh, but I hope everyone's having a great time walking the floor of the conference. Uh, if you happen to be in the neighborhood, please do stop by booth 3318 in the Invest- Investors Exchange to check out the Northern Miner booth. Say hi to our team. Pick up a uh, copy of our absolutely monstrous 44-page PDAC special, uh, which is packed full of some awesome stuff, including uh, the uh, exclusive interview I had with Lucas Lundin, which we mentioned last week. Um, but I do have a really good uh, episode fired up here uh, for those walking the floor who want something to uh, tune into. Leslie will be dropping in for an all-new uh, episode of the Geology Corner, wherein we will explore absurd and insane mining promotions, uh, including uh, the infamous uh, company who attempted to mine gold from the Canadian Mint in the Ottawa River, uh, mining in sewage, and asteroid mining. Uh, it's going to be a pretty awesome Geology Corner. We have a have a good time talking about some of these uh, more, uh, abs- <laughs> as I said, absurd uh, um, sort of mining deals we've heard about over the past couple decades uh so leslie will be dropping in it's uh kind of one of our uh, our famous top five or i think it's top four this week lists but uh those are always fun so we're looking forward to that i also have a uh, a bit of audio from an interview i did with the president of otis gold which is advancing the kilgore gold deposit in idaho uh craig Lindsay. uh we talk uh briefly about uh their 2016 exploration program um but maybe more importantly uh, they recently had a $5 million investment by Igniko Eagle via a private placement at around $0.30 cents a share. So Igniko now owns just shy of 10% of Otis Gold, um, and which is, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this new business model. I shouldn't say new, uh, returning business model, wherein majors and uh, intermediate producers are taking equity stakes in earlier stage juniors. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of it uh, uh, with uh, companies like Nighthawk Gold or in resources. We've seen it up in the Yukon with Gold Corp, uh, most recently with uh, Triumph Gold, which was formerly Northern Free Gold. Uh, we've seen quite a bit of this activity going on where uh, uh, majors are sort of trying to get earlier stage footholds via equity placements in district scale opportunities. Uh, this has been specific, uh, especially true in the gold space. Uh, so I had a chance to sit down with Craig uh, from Otis Gold and and I'll run about five minutes where he talks about their 2016 exploration program um, at their Kilgore property and also the Igniko investment and sort of what that means for the company. Um, but before we do crack into our content, we will uh, briefly explore a little bit of macro this week just to get you situated as you peruse the floor of PDAC for uh, <laughs> promising uh, investment opportunities. Opportunities. Uh, so uh, gold uh, today was trading at $1,225.50 per ounce. Silver is trading at $17.80 per ounce. Copper was at $2.66 per pound. Well, West Texas Intermediate Oil was at $53.18 per barrel at the time of recording. In gold news, on Friday, Federal Chair Janet Yellen reinforced expectations that the U.S. Central Bank would raise interest rates later this month. Yellen said last uh, week that the Federal Reserve was set to lift benchmark U.S. interest rates, provided the jobs and inflation data held up. Uh, These comments were seen as cementing plans for rate hike at the Federal meeting March 14th and 15th. Uh, For the first uh, time in over a week, physical gold ETFs were down 317,000 ounces on Friday. 
Meanwhile, in base and industrial news, uh, base metal prices are down this morning after this week's National People's Congress MPC meeting in China on Sunday, March 5th, uh, that drove concerns about a lower Chinese GDP growth target of 6.5%. That's down modestly from last year's actual GDP growth rate, which itself was a 25-year low. Uh, This has clearly impacted base metal sentiments, uh, though on the supply side, we should note, as we've been following along, uh, the potential strikes at BHP's Escondida mine and also the ongoing situation with Freeport McMoran in Indonesia at his Grasberg operation. Those two mines represent 10% roughly of global copper supply. Um, so this uh, we are poised to see possibly uh, a, a tipping point. Uh, the copper market could be in its first deficit position since roughly 2010. Uh, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Um, the more bullish case on copper is clearly on the supply side. So uh, we'll keep our eyes open as far as uh, the uh, various uh, labor disputes and also uh, uh, sociopolitical challenges that some of these base metal companies are currently facing. Um, but uh, yeah, without further uh, ado, I think we should crack into uh, Leslie's rather humorous geology corner this week. This one's a blast. Uh, so as I said, we are going to be discussing a few uh, rather absurd mining deals uh, that have come across our desk. Um, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's crack into it and I'll see it. See you on the other side uh, to introduce um, Craig Lindsay of Otis Gold uh, for a few comments on his Kilgore deposit and a recent investment by Agnico Eagle. Welcome to the Geology Corner. The Geology Corner. Yes, cool. I'm Leslie Stokes and we've got Matthew Keevil. And I guess this is our PDAC edition. Yeah. Yeah, because it's uh, it's going to be running on the Monday of PDAC. So. Yes. Yeah. Hello, everybody from Vancouver. Yeah, and... hello, everybody on the floor. I hear you're getting unseasonally warm weather in Toronto this uh, this PDAC, right. which is, is is not normal. So anyways, have fun <laughs> at PDAC. I, we're going to be, gonna be here. I'm going to be in Florida. Oh, yeah, you're going on vacation. <laughs> I will be uh, prowling around the empty streets of Vancouver. Howe yeah. Street will be barren, and it will just be poor <laughs> Matt walking around forlornly. <laughs> Looking for someone to interview. Just flag, <laughs> if you see him, just flag him down. Yeah. And give him a hug. Yeah, give me a hug. I'll be really depressed. <laughs> uh, but please do stop by our booth over at PDAC. Uh, say hi to everybody over there. We'll have uh, Salma, Trish. Everybody will have all hands on deck, I think, will be there. I think yeah. Adrian's in town, um, our, our uh, social media manager, I believe. All right. Um, and everybody should be down on the floor of the show. So uh, do say hello and pick up a version uh, or an edition of our massive PDAC Huge. Paper. It's 44 pages. Yeah. Yeah. That's like almost as long as my thesis. <laughs> so congratulations, everybody who wrote into that. We did get it done, and it's uh, it's a pretty uh, pretty nice issue. So stop by, get a, pick one up at the booth. Um, but uh, I've done enough promotion, I think, so we could probably get into the geology corner. What <laughs> the you, geology what corner. Well, I thought, you know, anyone who has uh, ever attended PDAC in Toronto has seen their share of unusual projects. So I thought that in this week's Geology Podcast, I'd discuss some of the most unusual to downright absurd projects that have ever hit the news wires. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about um, a failed attempt at using nuclear bombs for mining in the 60s. We're going to throw asteroid mining into a different orbit. We're going to discuss problems and rewards for recovering metals out of human sewage. And we're going to nostalgize about a company's claim that gold rests at the bottom of the Ottawa River below Parliament Hill. I remember that one. <laughs> that was that. That is quite infamous. Well, let's start yeah. with that one. So, in yeah. 1995, 
a company called Jag Mines announced its intention to dredge the Ottawa River beneath Parliament Hill, claiming that there were about 80 tons of silver, 35 tons gold, and however many tons of platinoids in the sediment. So how did it get there? They said that um, the refinery tailings from the Royal Canadian Mint, which is a 99-year-old riverfront sort of refinery, accidentally flushed the precious metals through the mint's outflow pipe during the plant's first 60 years of operation. (laughs) So to calculate the resource, this company, which was pretty much a trio of Ottawa investors, used historical records from the mint that engaged the difference between the amount of metal going into the refinery and the amount of metal that was going out. So this was life before Briex and 43101 reported. Yeah, that's how they used to get Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the story created such a big buzz in the news world. Um, and Parliament Hill's River of Gold made headlines in McLean's and Wall Street Journal. I think it even went into Bloomberg. <clears throat> and they said that for just an $8 million investment, um, they could recover $1.2 billion worth of metal. Huh. That sounds really believable. (laughs) So believable. Of course, their plan was completely kiboshed when questions about whether the outflow pipe, and hence the gold, even existed in the first place. Representatives from the Canadian Mint were quoted as saying, they can look at our blueprints, if you like, but there's no pipe. (laughs) (laughs) This this was publicly listed, right? Yeah, this is a publicly listed company. I I, I do remember this. So, of course, the firm and its proposal soon faded away into history, and the notion of gold at the bottom of the Ottawa River was never really discussed again. Somebody must have checked it out. I know. Yeah, like somebody went down there. In fact, I want to look at the Mint's blueprints, because, I mean, what kind of world was that uh, back in the day when the Canadian Mint would say, look at our blueprints? Yeah. be like finding all the, like, little tunnels and just check it out yeah yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> i'm sure somebody that's like a treasure that's like publicly listing a treasure map yeah that is what like it was like i have the i know where there's you can't, this sunken you can't even gold have, you can't even have videos in gold pouring rooms or like no, cameras right. yeah, yeah, yeah you can't even take photos let alone look at blueprints of it but yeah. another great idea well not really great idea but definitely failed in a big big way um at the peak of the atomic age in the 1970s the united states federal government initiated Project Plowshare, which was an experimental test run at using atomic bombs for quote-unquote peaceful construction purposes as their attempt to um, like sway public fears about nuclear technology and promote the acceptance of nuclear weapons. So this is about this is about replacing dynamite essentially with, with nuclear small scale nuclear bombs. armaments. Totally sweet. So they propose <laughs> that nuclear explosives. Like I'm going to crack up while reading this. So they propose <laughs> that nuclear explosive explosives could help widen the Panama Canal, cut paths through mountains, basically cut through mountains. I don't doubt it. <laughs> Connect inland river systems and other proposals involved blasting underground caverns for water for natural gas for petroleum storage so (laughs) the list just went on one of the first plowshare nuclear blast cratering proposals that came close to being carried out was project charrier i can't pronounce it which would have used several hydrogen bombs to create an artificial harbor at Cape Thompson in Alaska. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're worried about mining. They're gonna they're gonna bomb the freaking heck out of your area there. It's so good. It gets better. It gets better. So the largest proof of concept test was conducted in 1962 in southern Nevada. It was called the Sedan. 
The shot displaced more than 12 million tons of soil and resulted in a radioactive cloud that rose to an altitude of 12,000 feet. That's 3.7 kilometers above the Earth. <laughs> Great success. <laughs> the radioactive dust plume headed northeast and east towards the Mississippi River. Needless to say, after several failed attempts and spending $770 million on this project, on all of them... Essentially commercializing nuclear bombs. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what they were doing. The Operation Plowshare, well, it ended quietly in 1977. Which is fair, though I, I'm assuming they did succeed in making very large holes. Yes. In, in places. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, like, <laughs> in, in, in big ways. And some and a lot of the material is like buried and will never be. The efficacy of actually idea. making the holes was never in question. It was the what happens after. Yeah. Is problem. <laughs> I would imagine is the problem. There was like radioactive gas that was sprayed and like it was just really. Ugly. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, it's. Gotta wonder what they were thinking. I mean, I I, this is back in the '60s. I mean, that's when like smoking cigarettes was good for you. I know. Like, you know, seatbelts. Makes me wonder, like, what is we're doing today? Where we're clearly not quite all there. <laughs> but anyway, so that's, a, that's story. A, I didn't know that story actually. That's quite funny. I had heard Operation about some, Plowshare. yeah, some commercialization <laughs> of nuclear armaments in terms of construction, but I never heard the details on uh, just, on some of that stuff. Can you fun. imagine trying to do that today? Like seriously, everyone, I like, it cracks worry. me up. Yeah. I'm dying laughing. Okay, so the next one. There's gold and then there are sewage treatment. Oh, I've heard of this one too. Um, yeah, everyone's probably heard of it. In the States, about three and a half million tons of sewage per year is used as fertilizer on farms and forests, while the other half is <clears throat> incinerated or sent over to landfills. But according to researchers, that waste may still be really valuable. So over the past decade, research has indicated that there's potentially $280 worth of gold, silver, platinum, and palladium in each ton of sewage waste. And that is, according to my calculations, a billion dollars of value being thrown down the drain each year. Literally. In, in sewage. And figuratively. Yeah. So an eight-year study by the USGS found 28 milligrams of silver, 638 milligrams of copper, 49 milligrams of vanadium, and less than one milligram of gold per kilogram of waste. So I didn't actually convert that for everybody, but I'm sure you're going to Yeah, you it. could work it out. You could figure it out. So they're mining poop. They're mining poop, but it's actually from a whole whack of other things. Mm -hmm. So it comes from food produ products, dental fixtures, medical facilities. Dental, dental fixtures? Yeah, because, like, you know, you have stuff in your yeah. teeth. Yeah, oh, no, I know. And I you're know. brushing your teeth yeah. and whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, like, the pipes and everything that these, um, like, fluids have to go through. So it's, like, a, a huge combination of sources. Um Silver, of course, is really quite common because of these days people use it for antibacterial yeah. purposes, like yeah. silver spray and whatever. Mm -hmm. So in 2009, actually, a sewage treatment center in northwest Tokyo recovered more than 1,800 grams of gold per ton of ash recorded from incinerated sludge during its first year of operation. And the high concentrate is thought to be attributed to equipment manufacturers using the precious metal in the neighborhood mm. because it was like high industrialized sort of area. Yeah. Now, how one removes a metal out of the sludge can pose a bit of an issue, and it's kind of interesting. In Tokyo, they had incinerated their sewage, but in the U.S., you don't really want to do that because they use that for 
fertilizer. So researchers are trying to take a two-pronged approach. They want to extract the metals that are valuable, while at the same time extract the metals that reduce fertilizer's quality, such as cadmium. Oh, okay. Mm, so it's a bit of a win-win situation. Yeah, yeah. So one idea that's being pitched around is to supplement the sewage with metal-loving microbes. Oh, there you right. go. Right, which in turn yeah. scavenge and harvest um, all the all the metal, and then you can just harvest them when you're done. Who's doing this? I have no idea. Like the governments or like yeah, well, they're doing USGS it in Japan. and like geological surveys. Yeah. And stuff. Well, I've heard, I often hear that uh, every so often you see a company come around that like quotes that number. There's like such and such amount of precious metals in seawater. Like it's like oh yeah right. And they're like we have a machine that can like take the seawater and like extract such and yeah. such an amount of gold and the ratios are always different or whatever they're like do you know what like and then they do the, the similar conversion to your your mint story where they do the conversion yeah. and they're like well if there's this much gold in like a glass of seawater think about if we mine the whole ocean and then they're like oh there's like so much gold in the ocean and i'm like yeah well it's never i've never actually seen it come to fruition where people are like coming up with these miracle machines that are like water gold mining water it's stuff so amazing no, I, well yeah. speaking of a cool business to work in let's get on to our last one yeah so is mining asteroids in space a far-fetched idea mm-hmm. like that pun nasa actually um doesn't seem to think so you know according to space according to the space agency it costs about ten thousand u.s dollars to get one kilogram of material into orbit so the idea of mining resources in space could actually make for a very attractive alternative so but contrary to popular belief everyone prospective miners won't be searching the skies for gold nickel cobalt or platinum rich asteroids lassoing them and bringing them back to earth anytime soon instead the first thing mined in outer space that everyone's kind of predicting will quite likely be Water. Water, yeah. So water itself can actually be broken down into its individual constituents. So everybody, that's hydrogen, that's oxygen. That can be converted into rocket fuel, which Mm -hmm. is in itself the most precious commodity in outer space because it's used so much. Being able to refuel TV or communication satellites, for example, would save operators millions and millions and millions of dollars every month. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like having an unlimited supply of fuel. Yeah. 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 So um, where's the water? Well, it's on the moon. Yeah. You know, in 2010, impact data from the El Cross mission. They uncovered water in a permanently shadowed region near the moon's south pole. I've heard Dark that. side yeah. of the moon. And then they recently also find some on Mars, too, or like frozen. Yeah, they're finding it yeah, everywhere. Yeah, there's space water. There's space water. Yeah. And, right, like, so alternatively, water on asteroids could also present an opportunity for future, you know, fueling stations, a little stopover on your way into deeper parts of um, space. So that could be actually quite helpful as well. Now, the challenge now would be to find a more effective means of drilling the lunar and asteroid surfaces to test for this water to see if it's actually there. Which is something that Sudbury-based Deltian, Deltian, Deltian Innovations, Sudbury-based, um, those guys, is working towards. David Peary, our T&M writer. Yeah, yeah. our, our uh, layout manager. Layout manager, he writes yeah. too. Yeah. And um, he wrote an article about that on March 4th. It's called Space Mining Ready for Liftoff, mm-hmm. if you want some more information about that. But other news you may have heard of recently NASA recently announced plans to visit an iron-nickel-rich asteroid called Psyche. Psyche? 
Psyche. Yeah, in 2023. And that asteroid right now is located about three times the distance away from the sun, as is the Earth. It measures 200 or so kilometers in diameter and is thought to represent, get this, the metallic core of an early planet that lost its rocky layers due to violent collisions billions of years ago. How cool is that? It's just a massive piece of nickel in space. Well, yeah, it's, it's like the core <laughs> of a yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah. And so NASA, their objective is to study the asteroid, and from that maybe we can learn something about our core on Earth. Oh, so they don't want to mine it. Well, this is that. So since they've announced this, it's like all in the news, everyone's talking about in the media that this asteroid contains 10,000 quadrillion dollars in iron value alone and bringing it to Earth would cause an economic Armageddon. But it would. It would cause an Armageddon. Maybe not an economic one. Yeah, yeah. But it would yeah. cause definitely an Armageddon of some kind. It's fairly large. Because space researchers say that mining asteroids for iron or precious metals isn't in the cards because we don't have the technology to bring it back to Earth. Obviously, Bruce people, Willis. guys, it's simple. You need Bruce Willis. We're just, we're serious. I read new scientists every week and they're always saying how they're trying to figure out ways to blow asteroids up and get it away from <laughs> Earth. Don't, don't bring them closer. Don't bring them closer. Anyway, but what you can do and what researchers are um, like pointing towards is that NASA or whoever it is can actually strap rockets onto these asteroids and then propel them um, towards the moon and throw them into orbit around the moon, which is apparently relatively easy to do, just as long as you don't run out of fuel, because Lord knows you don't want to run out of fuel going down that highway towards Earth. No, I wouldn't imagine so. <laughs> no. Yeah. So even still, at the same time, people forget. And uh, unless my loyal listeners of the geology corner, they won't forget because they would know that gold and precious metals in asteroids isn't relatively distribu evenly distributed That's among right. all the asteroids. Because yeah. how those metals are created is through a very special process, right, that we covered in a previous podcast. Our interstellar edition. Our interstellar edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, guys, it's so interesting. Yeah. So how it's created is not evenly distributed. So we don't actually know how much precious metal are in these asteroids. So we need to actually test them. So at the end of the day, however, if there is a nugget of gold floating in the universe or like that wonderful like planet made of diamonds and an asteroid from that, I give everybody my full go ahead to lasso that thing, throw it into orbit around the moon and mine the heck out of it just as long as I get a little part or a big part. However much you want to give me. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie's calling dibs on some of the diamonds. Dibs. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There so, and that, my friends, is the future of asteroid mining and some of the most unusual and, quite frankly, some absurd mining projects that you've heard about. But uh, have fun have at PDAC. Great time. Stay yeah. hydrated. That's my big thing. Stay <laughs> drink Stay, seriously. Water. It will. It, it's the elixir of life. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It will just bring you back. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Geology Corner.
and welcome back to studio so that was a blast we always have fun with those um if as always if anyone does have uh any um ideas or concepts for geology corner we're always open to uh exploring specific topics or if you have really funny stories we always love those as well uh we'll try to do more of our sort of uh countdown lists of uh funny pranks at camp and things we've uh we've done previously um but uh yeah let's get into uh our company content for the week um i had a chance as mentioned to uh have a chat with uh craig Lindsay, president of otis gold um, we were talking about their Kilgore deposit in Idaho, um, which has been uh, drilled by a number of uh, companies, most notably probably Echo Bay, uh, which which contemplated uh, starting a, a rather small heap leach open pit operation uh, at the site. Um, but uh, Otis has been working the project since around 2008. Uh, in 2016, they had a 43-hole program over 10,300 meters, which was largely focused on their uh, sort of newly discovered Aspen corridor, um, which uh, Craig will get into in his comments. Uh, there's currently around an 800 thousand ounce resource there uh, at under a gram uh, that's in both the indicated and inferred categories uh, so they're looking to increase the grade and the size of the deposit um, but following the results from this program Ignico did wade in with uh, as we mentioned around a 10% equity investment in the company uh, so obviously they've been impressing the right people uh, Craig also mentioned to me that they signed quite a few uh, confidentiality agreements following the program and that there are quite a few um, gold producers out there looking for exposure to the US um, at, at the earlier stage so uh, some interesting uh, sort of insight there um, but uh, I'll let uh, I'll let Craig speak for uh, the project uh, he gets into a little bit of the um, sort of geological modeling behind the uh, the new uh, the new zones and uh, the new uh, exploration techniques they're using at Kilgore um, so yeah let's get into that and uh, I'll be back uh, on the other side just to wrap up I mean last year was a fantastic year for us and it was on the heels of that that small but very successful drill program that we completed in 2015 when up at the in the northern part at the northern end of our deposit, we did a small kind of 3,000 meter drill program and knocked out uh, some very good numbers of you know 50 to 100 meter intercepts in the two to four gram range. You know the best one was that 94 and a half meters of 4.21 grams per ton, but we also had kind of 47.2 meters of 2.4 grams per ton and 50 meters of 4.24 grams. So um, that really got things going. And all of those holes that were drilled in this area that we call the Crab Claw in 2015 and were announced in January of 2016 um, ended in mineralization in this underlying Aspen unit, which is a sandstone formation that's underlying the existing 820,000-ounce deposit. And it's in an upfaulted horse block. So um, everyone's always looked at this Aspen uh at Kilgore and not really bothered too much with it for two reasons. Number one, it's, it's underneath of the, the main lithic host unit, which is the host to the 820,000 ounces. Um, so it's a little bit deeper. And then also the metallurgy isn't quite as good. In the lithic tough, we get 80% gold recoveries at inch and a half crush. And in that underlying sandstone unit, the Aspen, we we generally get about 70% recoveries at inch and a half crush. O open, it's heat bleach, less oxidized than, than the lithic tough. Um, and you, if you go back to the 90s when Echo Bay was out there, um, these guys were going after a shallow open pit heat bleach target. So they, they really, they drill down through the lithic tough, and when they'd hit this Aspen unit, even though almost every hole they drilled into it ended in open-ended, you know, one plus gram per ton mineralization, they just didn't spend any time developing it because they were going after the shallower um, open pit 
uh, in a $350 gold environment, and they liked the Nithic Tough because it ran a little bit better. Well, in 2015, when we hit into the Aspen, it wasn't an upfaulted horse block that runs the entire uh, length of the deposit on the northern side of our deposit and really the downslope side of our deposit. So this, this sandstone unit that's been upfaulted uh, is closer to much, much closer to surface. In fact, it, you know, we get mineralization starting at 70 meters. Um, so this, this, that drilling in 2015 really turned the lights on for us, and we decided to go back and look a lot more closely at this underlying Aspen unit. So the drill program in 2016 was, you know, entirely focused on attempting to drill out uh, a resource in this Aspen unit that's underlying the, uh, the the deposit. And so we're in the process of updating our resource estimate that's ready in the summer. Um, and that will actually lead into, uh, uh, we, we plan to finally get a maiden PEA done on this. And I think that's going to be justified with a larger resource. That's not just a larger resource, but we think we're, we're hopeful we can bring up the grade on it based on all of the uh, the higher grade drilling and thicker intercepts that have been completed in both 2012, 2015, and, and more importantly, in 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an investment holding for them. There isn't a formal um, you know, technical services agreement that's between the two companies, but I can tell you that um, the, the Agnico Eco folks out of their Reno office are just top-notch exploration guys. Um, they spent a lot of time on due diligence um, over a fairly protracted period of time. They've developed a very, very good relationship with our technical guys in particular, and we really are hoping to, to lean on them a little bit for some advice, some some guidance, and some input on what we're doing. They, yeah, they, they like the project, and what's brought them to the table, I think, is the potential that they see in this Aspen. And secondly, we've always talked about some of the other targets that are out at uh, Kilgore that have the same geologic signature that we see at the existing Kilgore deposit. And some of the targets we talk about are Gold Ridge and Prospect Ridge. And now that we've demonstrated size potential at the Kilgore deposit and the potential to increase the grade, um, the other targets become a lot more compelling. Welcome back. Uh, and I'd like to take the opportunity to again thank Craig Lindsay from Otis Gold for uh, joining us to discuss the Kilgore project in Idaho and recent investment by Agnico Eagle Mines. Sounds like it'll be a busy year down there in 2017, so we'll keep our eyes peeled for uh, news coming out from Otis. Um, but once again, uh, we're nearing the end of the show, but I just wanted to say I uh, hope you're having a great PDAC. Um, and uh, do stop by our booth again and uh, check out uh, our team. Say hi, pick up a paper. That's uh, booth number 3318 in the Investors Exchange. Um, and while we're on the subject of PDAC and the Northern Miner, um, you may have caught, if you surf by our website today, uh, a new announcement where we unveiled the Canadian Mining Symposium in London. This is an event we will be putting on in partnership with the PDAC, um, which is supported by the High Commission of Canada in the United Kingdom and the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame. Um, so this will be happening on May 9th, 2017. That is a Tuesday uh, at Canada House on Travolger Square. Um, and one of the big um, sort of announcements we made today is that uh, we have some really good features 
featured speakers, um, and that includes Robert Friedland and Lucas Lundin, uh, will be in attendance to give uh, give some uh, presentations and have uh, uh, some more interactive chats. Um, so it's going to be a really good event. So I just wanted to draw everybody's attention to that. Uh, please do surf by northernminer.com. Uh, you can check out some of the details about the Canadian Mining Symposium there. Uh, it's a pretty exciting event, so we're looking forward to it, and uh, we're really proud to be putting it on uh, with both the Government of Canada um, and having such, uh, such great partners um, and also having such great speakers. I think it'll be a really good uh, event for everybody involved. Um, some of the other uh, sponsors include the TMX Group, uh, the Northwest Territories, PWC, um, and also uh, our partner, InfoMine. Um, so that's uh, going to be a really exciting event. Do uh, do surf by, uh, check out some more de- uh, details on that if you're interested. Um, I believe there's still sponsorship opportunities open, so that might be uh, a chance if you're uh, looking for an opportunity to celebrate Canada's 150-year anniversary and uh, promote the mining industry abroad. Uh, I think we are still looking for partners to, uh, to jump on board and uh, attend the symposium. So that would be uh, a pretty exciting event, I think, and uh, it should be awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, so that sort of wraps up our show. Uh, before we uh, depart, um, I'd just like to uh, remind everyone to uh, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, rate us on iTunes for the podcast because that helps out a bunch, and do check out our YouTube channel uh, for some exclusive video content. Um, but uh, yeah, I, once again, hope everyone has a great time in Toronto. Uh, this has been Matthew Kivo with the Northern Miner Podcast, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you.